As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm very consistent. I'm a very stable genius. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. And today's episode is more on point than usual. My guest needs no introduction from regular listeners. He is a never-Trumper, a former practitioner of the dark arts, a dog lover, a hunter, and my good friend, Rick Wilson. He has a new book coming out, which I will, will now do a requisite plug. It is called Everything Trump Touches Dies, which is a much cleaner version uh, than I would go for. A Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. So coming up, we are going to stand for the founding fathers. We're going to talk about Putin. We're going to talk about NATO. And we're going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh. And I think we're going to get somewhere that may surprise you. So listen up. So let's just put it out there that we're taping this before the meeting between Trump and Putin. So I actually am a little worried (laughs) we might speak into existence things that otherwise would not happen. But I am so curious because you've been a foreign policy, you know, watcher for so long. Uh, National security um, is kind of, you know, besides being a professor of the dark arts, you know, your specialty. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Well, look, I think Vladimir Putin is going to treat him just like he treats any intelligence asset. He's going to walk in the room with him, and he's going to—he knows how to handle this guy. He looks at him like a case officer, not like a not like a negotiator, and he's going to treat Trump exactly like that. He's going to go in there and treat him as if you know he's an asset to be manipulated. And Trump has shown time and again. He is easy to manipulate, mm. and with a certain amount of flattery and a certain amount of 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 ass-kissing, Donald Trump will say great things about the worst people in the world. And Vladimir Putin knows that. And, you know, he, and Trump has already sent Putin several messages this week, um, you know, that he's that his whole, you know, go into the NATO meeting and treat the allies as if they were, you know, something stuck to the bottom of his shoe. Um, and then today's, uh, what, you know, Thursday's press conference, where he you know, came out and basically hewed the party line on Crimea. Well, they're Russian speakers, and they have bridges to Russia. And he was, he was, he sent Putin every signal in the world. He's going to come into this meeting, you know, like it's his quarterly employment review, not like it's a, a, a you know, the principle of a, of a of a great power speaking to the principle of another great power. So I, I think I think we're in, a, in for a in for a bad a bad outcome because you know he, he doesn't go in there looking at Vladimir Putin with an eye of caution. Hmm. Now, I think something that might be difficult for some people to understand, and I'll, you know what, not some people, I'll bring this to myself, which is that 
when Trump says it's good to be friends, it's good to talk to people, you know, and 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 I'm I'm old enough to remember back when Obama said he would meet with uh, who did he say he would meet with? He said he meet with the leader of Iran, right? And that God, you know, mm-hmm. people, f- mm-hmm. f- you know, there was a, a general freakout on the right. Yeah. I, I'm a I'm a dove from way back, you know. I hear that and I'm like, oh well, maybe this is one of those places where I might find that slim sliver of common ground with Trump. Like, why why should I not take that as at face, face value? Well, I mean, I think there, I think three big things obtain. The first is is you know the old Reaganite construct of trust but verify should still exist, but it no longer does. Um, and and that that idea that we can have civil Negotiation with adversary nations um, is 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 a you know I think a fairly broad bipartisan characteristic of our foreign policy for the last fifty years. However, we do try to draw some bright lines when people engage in particularly egregious behaviors. And you know, Vladimir Putin is is running a kleptocracy that kills journalists and imprisons and kills political opponents. And the fact that he is you know the, the fact that he's got Donald Trump's uh, to use Lyndon Johnson's uh, phrase that Donald Trump's pecker in his pocket um, mm. doesn't change the fact that Vladimir Putin is a guy that American leaders, you know, even when Bush said, you know, tried to look into his soul and, and, and Obama said he wanted to have a reset, even, you know, as variable as their as their views of Putin may have been, both of them, both of those presidents still looked at him with a great deal of caution. They still brought the human rights question to the fore which you know, Donald Trump gives so little care for human rights and, and, and human dignity. I, I think it's, you know, we've got that example every day, mm-hmm. especially with you know three thousand kids sitting in, in uh, you know detention and separation from their parents. Right. Um, you know, in all those cases, Putin uh, sees the guy who's basically an ally ideologically. He doesn't think he, he knows he won't be held to account, and that's what concerns me. Putin comes into this knowing that there is zero. Yeah. Now that you bring up pissing, I I wonder. There's something else that comes to mind. Have you ever ventured an mm. opinion <laughs> on the existence of the P tape? <laughs> just just curious. I don't think we've ever talked about it. Uh, I have been told there are tapes by people I trust in the intelligence universe. Um, I don't have an opinion on the P tape per se, but you know, whenever you're in Russia, you're taped. Yeah. Whether you're there in 1987 or 1992. Or 1997, or 2003, or 2008, or 2013. If you're in if you're in Russia, you're you're on tape. Smile, you're on candid camera. Um, so, you know, uh, there's something. There's something. There are there are things floating around out there. And look, there are three or four different tapes floating around out there. Some of which may be fake. Some of which may be real. Um, and it's like everything with Russia. You have to take it with a giant grain of salt. You have to look into the you know the details of these things. You have to see if they're consonant with other behavior mm. of the people that you're that you're talking about. Well, you know, one constant of Trump's, um, a, a, almost like an axiom that you can can figure out his his motivations via is projection, right? If he says mm-hmm. something about somebody, then it's almost Absolutely. certainly true about him. So when he's said he has tapes, you know, of Comey, for instance, I feel like that's giving it away. Like somebody has tapes on him and he thinks right. and he thinks about that. He must think about it. It's the top of his mind. Constantly. Yeah. And it, oh, and also, I mean, we have to remember that Donald Trump, you know, was notorious at his hotels and his golf mm-hmm. clubs and everything else. 
for loving loving his extensive surveillance systems at those places. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the projection and the experience of these things has probably rattled him a good bit. And, and you know, certainly, um, when, the, when the, the allegations of, of the Ritz Carlton tape came out, um, there were a lot of people in Trump's world around the Trump universe who went into full scale crisis mode overload trying to track him down. And, and, you know, if it had been something that was just a, you know, nonsense throwaway thing. I'm not sure that, you know, you would have had guys like Roger Stone and all these other, you know, various people around him beating the drums to everybody they could find trying to track this down just in case it existed. Mm. So, you know, although that you is don't spend time and money like that, if unless, unless something like that is, is real. Yeah. Although um, that, so, you know, look, deductively, deductively, we know a lot. Uh, you know, a, a, empirically, we don't know a lot. Yeah. And that is, I should say, kind of one of those things that it's funny to talk about. I'm not sure how much it matters um, at this point. We have two we have two realities in our country. And and so but it is it's always uh, it's a good it's it's the national pastime to speculate about it. Um, I mean, listen, there there would be people that that, that if, if if the tape started out with him doing a straight to camera thing, saying, my name is Donald J. Trump, and now I'm about to have these prostitutes urinate on me. <laughs> there would be people in the, in the model world who go, that's fake. No, 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 yep. no way, that's true. That's fake. Yep. They, you- they, would, they would believe, you know, they will believe that Hillary Clinton ran a child cannibal sex ring out of a pizza restaurant, but they won't believe that Donald Trump slept with hookers in Russia. So... You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. There is something. There is something very wrong with our country. But I, I actually want to move on because listening to you talk about um, what's going on with NATO and the importance of the way that former presidents have dealt with Putin, it came to mind. You know, some people might think it's sort of odd that you have these dual sort of areas of expertise, one of which has a lot to do with strategy and image and ad making and the other one, which is national security. But something that Tommy Vitor taught me is that foreign Mm -hmm. policy is actually a place where image is incredibly important, where the pageantry and theater of something actually really, really does matter. Yep. And, and, you know, I I wrote a piece this week to the spectator of London and essentially said, you know, that, that our allies, you know, they, 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 there was never like a universality of opinion on Reagan or Bush or Clinton or, or Obama, but they, but they all knew there was a basic lane that American um, presidents played in. They all knew there was a basic stature to the American presidency and a certain set of boundaries that, that an American president was going to operate in, uh, and, 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 and a certain de- desire for them to portray America's positive image to the world. And they don't feel that way with Donald Trump. And they don't feel they don't feel like there's a there's a situation like that that obtains with Donald Trump. Right, and I'm also it brings to mind that a lot of the things that w- might be easy to sort of write off as again a theater or or a, a just a sidebar to the more important story, again in the arena of international relations. Perhaps it's outsized import, but not because this is one of the, we only get together with these people a few times a year, right? We only have so many chances well, to communicate. We do this once a year, and look, we have a lot of military to military and diplomatic to diplomatic um, contacts with NATO every day, right? Um, and there's a the security 
but the security meeting, this security meeting is, is an annual event. Oh, and I was going to say, but so uh, some of the little stuff matters, right? Like when he, his body language, um, sure. uh, his his talking down, his coming into a meeting late, like these are things right, that... He's blowing off, he's blowing right. off meetings with people. Right. And all these things, yes, all these things definitely matter. And they definitely, they definitely have an impact on the way, they definitely have an impact on the way people, you know, in, in those countries, um, you know, view both the demands and requests of the American president. And, you know, all these things used to be settled very much behind closed doors, where, because the purpose of NATO meetings was to show unity from the smallest members of NATO to the United States. And, and yes, we pull a disproportionate share of the load, but it also is a major part of our, of our 70 year security strategy for keeping peace in Europe and it's been incredibly successful. But part of that was, you know, we subsumed our egos as the big, as the big cousin and we, we let, you know, we, we treated each of those other NATO nations as equals when it came to the public face. Because, you know, Article 5, we're treated as equals. An attack on one is an attack on all. And, you know, with Trump, it's, it's you know, this whole swaggering, dick-swinging thing that he loves to do. And it just, it, it isn't the same. It doesn't have the same feel with, with the people in the room, and it leaves them shaken. And what do you think is is going to be the fallout from this. Your book is called, you know, Everything Trump Touches Dies. Are you yes, afraid of... available August 7th. <laughs> yeah, available August 7th. Don't worry. I'll, I, 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 in your intro, I'll, I'm, I have a big plug for it. But um, is NATO one of the things that's going to die? Uh, well, I am afraid that we may be at a point where you know, the, 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 the job of leader of the free world may be open mm-hmm. because Donald Trump doesn't seem to want it. And... You know, leader, the leader of NATO, the government leader of NATO, you know, de facto or de jure may be open because, you know, Donald Trump is trying to push America away from it as quickly as he can in favor of Vladimir Putin. And, and, and you know, by the way, Jim Mattis and Kay Bailey Hutchison and Mike Pompeo and every single other person, you know, including everybody except that dipshit Rand Paul and Mike Lee, um, you know, voted to support NATO in the Senate. Right. Overwhelming vote in the House. Um there is there is unanimity among American, you know, political and military and diplomatic and intelligence leadership that you know this is a bad idea. This is a bad way to go at NATO. It's a bad plan. It's a bad a bad approach. And you know he doesn't care. And so we may end up in a situation where we either have to really re, um, where we really have to rebuild all these relationships with whoever the next president is, um, or we have to accept that America is going to have less influence. Um, and less ability to to rely on NATO um, as a, as an ally, and less ability to rely on NATO countries as allies, and the and and we may lose some of the ability to project power around the world because you know it's not just that we quote unquote pay all this money to have these bases over there. We use bases to project power into places like the Middle East. So if you don't have Rota Spain or you don't have Stiganella or Aviano Air Force bases in, in in Spain and Italy or these naval facilities all over the Med. Um, you don't have the ability to project American power into the Persian Gulf as effectively. Um, and, and, you know, you don't have the ability to control the sea lanes in the North Atlantic as effectively if you don't have your relations with the Brits and relationships with, 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 with Scandinavian countries. It's really just a very, I mean, it's a, it's a spiteful and short-sighted way to approach this thing. But, you know, that's Donald Trump in a nutshell. <laughs> spiteful and short-sighted. Uh, short-fingered as well. Um Yeah. What would you say to someone who wonders, okay, okay, 
that we won't have as much prestige in the world. We won't we won't be able to project power. What does that mean to me? Because that is sort of what what Trump campaigned on. Let's think about that. Like he, yeah. he his message was fuck everyone. You know, like we're going to go it on our own. Like he actually made that really explicit. Um, and, you know, we're tired of protecting other people. We're tired of, and I, you know, I'm I'm someone who's sort of tired of wars, personally. Um, sure. So, what is what is what is the argument that you could make to someone who 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 doesn't think that sounds like such a bad thing? Well, you know, we've learned a few lessons over the years about about you know pulling back from the world, and and sometimes they're Pearl Harbors, and sometimes they're nine elevens, mm. and and. The, the philosophy of, of, of deterrence, of conventional deterrence, by having American troops forward deployed in Europe and, and, and keeping the peace through that, through that conventional system, um, is, you know, it was a success for 70 years. It contained um, Russia, Soviet and then Russian, Soviet aggression for 45 years and contained a lot of Russian aggression right up until pretty much you know, the 2014 time frame. So you know, these are these are things that that have long been successes for American diplomacy and American security. And if we if we decide that we can just walk away from them and treat them as a luxury and not as a necessity, you know, we are going to put ourselves in a position where when something goes wrong in the world through no fault of ours, we're going to end up you know being caught short. And it's a bad way to be as a country. Um, it's and it's a bad outcome as a as a nation. Where you, when you when you need a security arrangement, um, you know the best thing to have one is before there's a crisis. And we may end up in crises that that we you know, where we are no longer trusted in the world as an as an actor and as a player, and where we have you know abandoned the ability to project power in the world we need to. You know, and this the, the old the old joke about nuclear wars. Anybody who knows a damn thing about nuclear weapons never wants to see them used. Um, and it's also largely, you know, the, the case with large conventional uh, wars as well. Yeah. You know, we, we, we are, we're extracting ourselves very slowly from a long-term commitment in the war on terror. Um, and, you know, we may have outcomes that we're not expecting yet from that. Um, and so, you know, maintaining stability and maintaining security relationships with stable areas like Europe and, and our partners in Southeast Asia is a pretty important, uh, is a pretty important decision point. Uh, Sun Basket has been rated the number one meal kit by leading publications, and it is no wonder why. They offer 18 weekly recipes with options for paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, lean and clean, vegan, and more. But for me, what matters is that Sun Basket helps me eat healthier. It is as simple as that. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. My husband and I sometimes refer to these as Lego meals. All you have to do is just put the pieces together and you end up with a work of art at the end. And now you get more options than ever. Just go to Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. Easily cooked dishes like seared albacore tuna steaks with green beans and soft cooked eggs. And you know what? That's one I've read before. So I'm going to actually read you what the recipes are this week that I am looking forward to. One of them is Thai-style salmon with peach cabbage slaw. And what I like about that one is that this week and basically all summer, they are giving grill-friendly options. If you don't want to heat up your kitchen, if you want to want to grill instead, um, they've offered recipes that transport really easily to outside. 
Also, there are 20-minute meals, a speedy herbed pork and soba noodle salad with blackberry miso dressing. And you can hear just in the two recipes that I told you, these are fresh ingredients. Their recipes change as the seasons change and as what's fresh changes. So peaches, blackberries. Uh, I am super excited. I love uh, fruit in savory um, situations. So I love all of those. Everything is pre-measured and easy to prep. You can get healthy and delicious meal on the table in about 30 minutes. There is something for every healthy journey and every busy lifestyle. So go to sunbasket.com slash friends today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That is sunbasket.com slash friends for $35 off sunbasket.com slash friends. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut. I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, It's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiance of Stefan Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. What occurs to me, if I can argue against what what is actually probably pretty close to my own opinion, um, is that although I have problems with some of the wars that of choice that we have entered into, um, one long war, really, right? The war on terror. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a war of choice. And the reason why it was a war of choice is because no one dares to do something where we would force to respond. It sure. is it is. It is our overwhelming might that has allowed us to make choices about what we get into. Mm-hmm. And it is true that should that overwhelming might be called into question or should I alliances that help contribute to that overwhelming might, which is NATO, right, be called into question or denigrate uh, or degrade, I should say. We actually kind of have no idea what that world looks like. and Correct. Correct. And, and, and we actually have a slight preview of what it looks like. In a way, it looks like Russia after the collapse of communism, oh. where, <laughs> where the, the, instability, the instability and chaos um, that, that came from a, a former empire collapsing, um, you know, leads to domestic consequences. Um, we have an example, you know, from the British Empire collapsing in the wake of colonialism, um, you know, uh, as, 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 the, as the Commonwealth shrank and the empire shrank dramatically. 
Um, we saw, you know, we saw economic consequences and political consequences that, that were that were predictable, but also um, volatile. And and so, you know, being less of a power in the world is is it may it may be comforting to think we could get away with that and not have external consequences. But you know, rising powers, you know, rising powers are built on the backs of falling powers, mm. and you know, we, 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 we like to think that, that liberal democracy and free markets are, are a rising power, you know, or should drive rising powers in the world. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the Chinese are basically a state capitalist autocracy, and, and Russia's a kleptocracy. And, and I'm not sure those models are the ones we want to leave, leave the field open to, uh, to take. Mm. You know, Rick, I usually really enjoy having you on the show because we we chat and you say hilarious, insulting things about the president, but this is really depressing. Um. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I, don't mean to, I, mean, I don't mean to be an upside here. Okay? Oh, wow. All this is adult, going to be, this ought to be good. This ought to be good. This, this, this dumb moke mm-hmm. are whispering in the ears of their NATO counterparts. Don't worry. We got this. Yeah. Jim Mattis has probably worked his work harder right now than he did during the invasion of Iraq to keep NATO together. Um, and and the, the understory of the adult supervision around the president, um, and and the degree to which the degree to which the defense establishment and the diplomatic establishment and everybody else um, is slamming the brakes on Donald Trump's trash talk behind his back is remarkable. Mm. I mean, it's 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 a not short of mutiny, but I don't think they'd hesitate. Um, you know, if. if, if if it looked like he was going to get away with what he seems like he wants to get away with. Um, I, I talked to an intelligence official uh, from, from a European country a couple of days ago, and their perspective on it was, you know, we're getting nothing but positive feedback from everybody else. We just, you know, we're, we're now taking, we're, we're trying to take this as, you know, Trump putting on a show. And, you know, but you guys have to keep us, you guys have to keep us from feeling like you're going to let it get out of hand. And there is a sense that, you know, that, that Jim Mattis is running most of American, you know, defense policy without a lot of interference from Trump. Um, Pompeo, the jury, is still out a little bit. <clears throat> um, Hutchison's actually gotten some strong reviews from NATO folks that I've talked to and some, some defense folks over there that I've talked to that I know. Um, and, you know, we've been pretty impressed with her as a stabilizing force in the last 10 days. So, um, you know, I wish... I. I I wish we weren't having a, a conversation about something that should be a bedrock institution. Look, the G7 and NATO and World Economic Council and the WTO and all these things that, that Donald Trump hates for no reason and or for reasons he doesn't fully understand um, are parts of a global order that has made the world more peaceful and prosperous than it's ever been. And while the world still sucks in a whole bunch of places, it sucks a lot less because of those things. And so, you know, those are those are strong institutions, and I think people will rise to leadership in them. And I and I think that Americans will still appreciate those institutions, you know, as the, as as even as Donald Trump tries to burn them down. I think there's a future in which those institutions come to save us, um, but America's power Possibly. definitely diminishes. You know, I'm a big science fiction fan, and it's a really common trope in science fiction to have the United Nations sort of emerge as like the United States of Nations, you know? Yep. 
And most people have always been like, ah, oh, you know, that's for one, that's not how the United Nations works, right? That's the, the big criticism right. of it. But Trump doing what he's doing to me feels like the best chance for that sort of world order to emerge, that we're just a nation among nations, basically. And that, and that, and that there has to be, like, that we're like the, um, that, that we're like a particularly um, dangerous dog. They want us in the junkyard, um, but they're going to keep us on a chain. And I think that that is, I think that is a, a, a fairly, I think that is a fairly likely set of outcomes if, you know, if we have second term Trump yeah. and he continues to get people in, in around him who, um, uh, who, who will, you know, implement his policies. If, if it's a one term proposition or if, or if Trump, or if we have a different set of leadership in the, in the, in the House and Senate, um, that will constrain him a little more effectively or, or, you know, or ha ha ha. If Republicans, you know, realize that he's an existential threat to our international status, I think that might change things a little bit and, and put some brakes on that. But not bad. Yeah, I mean, I think what it it could mean is basically an end to American exceptionalism, which, as much of a peacenik as I am, and you know, bleeding heart liberal, commie, pinko, uh, simp, every all th- all the things. Um, right. I have a super soft spot in my heart for my country. And yep. have believed we, we this is one of the reasons one of the ways that we, you know, one of the places where we stand together. Like, I, I think we're pretty cool. <laughs> like, Listen, I yeah. don't think there's any I, I, mean, I think there's nothing. I think there's no parallel to this country. And, and and I mean that because of our shitty startups and the things that went wrong in the beginning with with the way we treated African-Americans, the way we treated women for a long time. Um but but I think that that you know always bending the arc in the right direction, that's us, and and there are few other countries in this world that can that can say that, and there are a few other countries in this world that are propositional nations, and and that and that being an American isn't about your DNA or your blood or your or your origin. It is about becoming a part of this giant, messy, wonderful thing we have, and. And, and you know, you don't have to be to, to be in this mafia. You don't have to be just an Italian guy to be in this mafia. You just have to join. You have to be a made person by becoming a citizen or being born here and being a citizen. And this idea that that America is about, um, you know, that, that America is going to close itself off to people from other countries who want to immigrate here, want to live here, want to become the, become us. You know, that to me is the greatest danger of Trump in many ways. And this mainstreaming of, of, of ethnic animus and hostility, that is so antithetical to what America, the America that, that, I, that I believe in, that I believe the founders believed in. Um, it, you know, it's, it, that, that's where we all, I think, can find a huge space to, to fight, you know, fight affirmatively for rather than just to scrap around the partisan edges. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there's something. Wilson Cox, twenty twenty, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, except there might be some places that the platform would would be pretty, pretty bipolar, um, and I, I, I say that as someone who really appreciates bipolar things like myself. Um, but you know what? Let's break and then come back and talk about a place where we might not have as much fun agreeing. So we'll be right back. 
This episode is sponsored by Chameleon Cold Brew, purveyors of incredibly delicious organic cold brew coffee. Chameleon Cold Brew brews their organic beans for over 12 hours, resulting in cold brew coffee that's super smooth, low acid, and highly caffeinated. The best part, though, is that Chameleon Cold Brew concentrated coffee is fully customizable to help you craft the perfect cup of coffee any way you like it. I personally like the mocha and pecan flavors, uh, but you know what? You can switch it up any way you like. You can add milk or water or some kind of, you know, nut milk if you like. It is designed to be diluted. Um, i let you in on a little recipe secret of mine, which is that um, some extracts can be used to give it a slight flavor. Um, bitters is also so great in coffee. And believe it or not, tonic and coffee makes a really good mocktail. Some of you may know that is sort of my jam, the mocktail. So whether you enjoy your cold brew iced or hot, black or creamy, sweet or bold, the possibilities are endless with Chameleon Cold Brew. And you can find it practically anywhere, including Whole Foods, Target, Safeway, Kroger, Walmart, and Publix. We thank Chameleon Cold Brew for sponsoring this podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. Mr. President, thank you. Throughout this process, I've witnessed firsthand your appreciation for the vital role of the American judiciary. No president has ever consulted more widely or talked with more people from more backgrounds to seek input about a Supreme Court nomination. And welcome back. I am talking to Rick Wilson, in case, like, I don't know, you forgot. So now, my friend, underscore the yeah. friend part, because I have to ask you a question. I'm not sure if I really want to know the answer, which is, so, Brett Kavanaugh, what do you think? So, here's, here's where I am on Brett Kavanaugh. I met Brett Kavanaugh uh, probably two or three times over the, over the years in passing. We're not, I'm not close. We're not friends. You know, hey, man, how you doing? But... Um, I'm going to split the baby up the middle a little bit here for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I get and half I'm a baby. You, Yay. He's not going to make, <laughs> he's not going to make liberal folks. He's not going to, he's not going to be the, the handmaid's tale, terrifying monster for liberals that they think right now. And on the other hand, he's not going to be the guy who overturns Roe versus Wade and becomes a, a judicial activist on the right that a lot of conservatives think he's going to be. That's, that's my, top-level take on him. I don't know his legal record. I haven't read his legal record, and I and in the last few days, I've been it's been in my stack of stuff in my in my in my feed to go and read about Brett Kavanaugh. And I just haven't done it all yet. But I mean, the irony here is Trump picked the, the, the of the three finalists. He picked the one who was the most bushy. Mm-hmm. He picked the one who was the least. Uh, had the least record on fully overturning Roe v. Wade, which I think was was a very interesting choice because Trump knows he has to get the votes, and 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 you know you can't lose Murkowski and you can't lose Collins in this equation and hope this thing you know still goes forward. Um, although he may be losing Rand Paul over Kavanaugh on privacy issues, which really complicates the the, the, the equation again. So you know, I just I don't I don't. I don't know the guy personally, um, and, I, and I, I, I haven't read his record enough. But like I said, of the three, the superficial reading I did of it, uh, my, my gut check tells me 
you know, we're, we're doing the kabuki dance right now, where every Republican is saying, this is it, this is it, final victory on the court. And every Democrat is saying, this is it, this is it, final doom on the court. You know, look, RBG is, uh, you know, she is, she is quite up there. Um, and Clarence Thomas is quite up there. You know, we're going to have more changes. And, and so, you know, it, it, it contextualizes 2020 rather sharply for everybody, I think. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the court is going to end up with, with um, some surprises, you know. And I also think, you know, I also think that Roberts may not end up staying as far to the right as people think he will. I think he thinks that there's at least to be a functioning sort of Kennedy-esque figure on the court. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be something. It's going to be a hell of a fight this summer, though. So I, I think my strategic, you know, kabuki analysis is, is pretty much like yours. Um, what in, mm-hmm. Knowing what little I know uh, about him. To a certain extent, I, I think you're right. I, I also am one of the people that thinks that Roberts is, I mean, he's no hero to progressives, obviously, but I think he has a conservative frame of mind in a good way, the, the good kind of conservative, which is to say doesn't like changing things radically for no reason. Um, and I think that he could be a real steadying force no matter what happens. I'm going to tell you what really concerns the fuck out of me, though, which is the tongue bath Kavanaugh gave Trump when he first came out. Now, mm-hmm. that has to disturb you. He started his relationship with the American public by lying to us and in praise of Trump, well, by saying that Trump was the mo- most thorough search and whatever. Yeah, it does concern me, and I'll tell you why it really concerns me. Because this is the first president who inappropriately thinks, okay, who, who inappropriately believes that his nominees to the court owe him, quote-unquote, loyalty. Mm-hmm. And that, is, that, that should disturb people. Because let me tell you, if Barack Obama said, I expect Ginsburg to be loyal to me, or what have you, Republicans and conservatives would have had a goddamn apoplectic stroke right there dead on the floor. As they should have, um, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, this is something that's lost in this country these days, and I, I, it troubles me a lot. Is this blurring of the fact that our founders, as a conservative, which I I believe in, designed a system with a separation of powers between the three major branches of government. This idea that Congress is just employees of the president, or that the courts owe loyalty to the president, is incredibly disturbing. It should bother the hell out of people. It, it, of course, it should. And that, you know, we were when both of us were doing our little pans to to the country. I can get weepy over describing the three branches of government. Like, yes, it's so brilliant. It works so well. It's, this this amazing ongoing experiment has you know delivered like so much improvement to people's lives. Have has gone forward. You know, arc of justice. Yes, we still have a lot of work to do, but. You know, the potential is here in a way that sometimes it, it doesn't exist in other countries, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a genius, you know, setup. You know, we, we, are, in, we are a nation of little daily miracles. I, I, and those little daily miracles that lead us in the right direction are because our system was designed in a way that, that, that has given us these, these, these broad and wonderful tools build a better country every time. Every time we go back to the voting booth, we have those tools to build something better. Yeah, I, I mean... And, I, and I, all those little, those little miracles that accrue 
And yes, and sometimes we have crappy outcomes too. Sometimes we do dumb shit, and and and, and it's and it's stupid and backward, and we have to reboot and re. And, you know, the code is solid. The under the underpinning software is great. Yeah. And, we, and 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 if we stick with it, it keeps delivering amazing things. And the thing that Trump has done is he has put a bug into the self-correcting part of this Correct. code. He has broken. He has broken. Trump is malware in our national operating system. <laughs> and it's, it's, and it, yes. it, it, it's, it's truly, it's truly, I mean, uh, people use the word tragic too loosely. It's tragic. Yeah. And so maybe this is actually, I can ask you something I, I was concerned what the answer would be because we might disagree and I hate disagreeing with you. Um <laughs> Which is, so 2020, super clarifying. Like you said, um, there's going to be probably at least two more judges, um, one of whom is just probably, I is... I don't, I don't know that. I think Ginsburg, I mean, if she has to show up to work in a robot exoskeleton, <laughs> I think she'll wait it out as long as she possibly can. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I just don't see... No, she'll be uh, a... a, a She'll be ahead in a jar, I think, is actually what... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if she could upload herself into the cloud and stay on the court, I'm sure she'd do it. You know? The singularity is here. So, <laughs> but, but, the, but, but my question for you is that as someone who knows that everything Trump touches, you know, turns to shit and garbage, mm-hmm. in 2020, if he gets the nomination, are you going to be working for a Democratic, you know, president and, and sacrificing the chance that, that conservatives have thirsted after for decades, which is totally remaking the court? Look, uh, anybody who fetishizes one aspect, one branch only, is is committing, I think, a category error and, and is, is in some ways not uh, patriotically embracing our system. It's supposed to be this thing of dynamic tensions and just and just saying, oh, we've got to have the court, that'll fix everything, or you've got to have Congress, that'll fix everything. Uh, I, uh, there are sacrifices I'm willing to make in order to ensure that Donald Trump does not destroy this country. And, and we may get there. I, I, I don't know yet who I'm going to work for in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and I, but I do know I'm never, I'm never going to, I mean, I, I would love to see Donald Trump get torpedoed from the right. That would be a dream of mine. Um, I don't see that necessarily happening yet, but you know, I also think that, that you know, we may not, there's also a, a non-zero possibility. Donald Trump is not the nominee or a candidate in 2020. Mm-hmm. Don't give up hope on Robert Mueller and don't give up hope on the fact that the guy shovels down Kentucky Fried Chicken and filet fish sandwiches every day. <laughs> you know what you've reminded me, though, um, is when you talk about the lack of faith that is shown by putting all your uh, hope in one branch or, or thinking that one thing is really going to fix it. Um, I'm reminded of the process that I had to go through when he won, when Trump won, which is I had, I was one of the people who completely and confidently believed that Hillary was going to win. Um, and I, I saw that as a, a, you know, vindication of our better angels and, you know, something to have faith in. And, uh, I often prayed about this, and I I try not to pray for specific outcomes. But you know, I, I feel you. I I as a friend of mine says, don't pray for specific outcomes, but you can let God know your preference. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you know, so I did, 
And then Trump won. And I, I had a literal crisis of faith. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually what happened is, well, I wrote a piece about it, which people can go find if they want, but uh, the short version. That same friend of mine who, who let me know about praying for my preference said what this is, is actually having to have faith in the country even more deeply. That yes, I mean the the requirement the requirement to believe that our system is resilient is 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 a survival mechanism that if we don't if you don't have it now um, in this in this period then then you know it's 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 really difficult to see how you survive mentally and politically uh, beyond it because you know. I, I, all the outcomes of Trump and Trumpism, to me, are an affront to, 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 to goodness in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I find that it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to wake up and say, how is this a part of some master plan from above? <laughs> how is this part working out? You know, it just, it's a really difficult and, 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 and testing time for everybody. And I don't think that, I, look, I, I, I try not to ever let it get me down. Because, you know, there's a rule I've applied in politics my whole life, and I've seen it play out a hundred times, is that bad people fuck themselves in the end. And, and while he's had a lot of daring-do type escapes, he's had a lot, of, a lot of help from a compliant Republican Congress, he's had a lot of, you know, a lot of boosters from, from you know, owning a TV network, basically, that's dedicated only to his political success. I think all these things, um, I think all these things add up to, you know, an eventual load in his system that's going to be fatal. Um, and I and I and I think there will reach a point where the show and the spectacle and the and the and the and the circus of Trump becomes too much to bear, even for um, his own people. And look, this trade war may do more to fuck Donald Trump over politically than anything else we could do. You know, bad people fucking themselves. He's about to screw the Midwest hard um, with with trade sanctions that are going to hit uh, his voters. He's about to screw over uh, voters in the South who build cars like BMWs and Mercedes and Volvos all across the South in places like South Carolina and Alabama, um, where where you know these trade sanctions are going to end up with those with those jobs being you know dis- disappearing because of Trump's attitude and on, on the trade matter. So he's got a lot of things he's doing to himself. Um, but it also requires in 2020, a Democrat who gets their own head out of their ass and runs a national campaign and, and, and does something that's different and doesn't, and doesn't stay stuck in you know, the sort of rut that, that Hillary found herself stuck in, where you know, everything was perfect on paper and none of it was good in execution. Um, and, and she came across as this sort of a stale brand. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the Democrats, and look, this is not to say they need to, you know, go the full Ocasio, but they need to freshen up the brand a little bit. They need to have somebody who's talking to people, you know, outside of the coasts in, in ways that are relevant to their lives, talk about the economy more in ways that are, that are you know, uh, that reflect a real sensitivity to people um, that, you know, 
that isn't just a ephemeral like, oh, we're going to do job training and this and that. They need to get down in the, in, the, in the dirt a little bit and talk about the actual things that are affecting people in the economy. And as strong as the economy looks on paper, you know, middle-class voters, when you poll them, they're happy right now that the economy is doing well. They're terrified right now that, 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 that you know, if, if they have a bad month, they're fucked. Yeah. If they have a bad health insurance bill, they're, they're fucked. And I just think there's a big market opportunity for Democrats out there on that stuff. Um, but it's going to require that they, that they get out of their own heads a little bit. Yeah, and if I can, I can insert my, you know, professional opinion to the extent that I, watching this for 20 years, I have one. Uh, what they need to do is be a party that can encompass both Connor Lamb and Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, which is have and, and people can, run, have people they, run. They can do that. Yeah. I mean, they've got a national play to make um, that, that frankly, um, the Republicans um, are writing themselves out of. Mm-hmm. And look, I've, you know, for years, I worked for a lot of Republicans in blue areas. You know, I helped elect Rudy Giuliani as mayor of New York City, for God's sake. Five to one Democratic registration. I elected a Republican governor in Vermont four times. You know, I've elected people in places like Washington State and Oregon and Wisconsin in blue areas. You know, and and, and you don't get there by being a, you know, red-hatted MAGA screamer. You get there by being able to have some flexibility and some, and some give in the system ideologically. And... So, you know, you end up in, in places where, where a pro-life Republican isn't going to win. You have to take a deep breath and, and, and let other people into the party who may not share every single checklist item on the ideological wish list of, you know, the central command of the GOP, you know, Death Star. Um, and, and, but Republicans now are the ones writing themselves out of that. Yeah. Because in areas where people have, I don't know, college degrees, um, or, or, you know, higher, mam- higher mammalian brain function, <laughs> you can't go and be a, a person who screams about all those dirty brown people c- coming over our border. We need to put them in cages. Yeah. You can't be a person who, you know, in a major metro who, who you know, wants to play out wh- whatever weirdo handmaid's tale fantasy they have. And so all these things, you know, are, are, like I said, the market opportunities for the Democrats, enormous market opportunities for the Democrats if they just... Uh, if they just like give their give themselves permission to not demand, you know, ideological purity and one size fits all. Yeah, and, it, and I, I say that as someone you know who obviously has pretty strong feelings on a lot of policy points, um, but I also don't want to see every single policy you know be torpedoed because you know we asked everyone to be either like Connor Lamb or either like Ocasio Cortez. So right, right. Listen, I mean, and that, again, that gets back to the founders. The founders yeah. knew we would have a country, you know, even though it was just 13, 13 states at that time, they knew that, that somebody from Georgia or South Carolina was going to have a much different approach to, and not just the slavery question, a lot different approach to, say, agriculture policies <laughs> than somebody from New England. Yeah. They understood that. I mean, we were built to be a representative democracy. This is this you know, that republic part involves people being representatives of the values and views and opinions and needs of people in different parts of the country. And, and you know, we are not a homogenous nation. Even, even in 2018, we are not 
you know, one size fits all. Nebraska is not Miami, and, and Miami is not Seattle, and Seattle is not Boston. You know, these, these, all, these, all, these, all these differences that still are, are, are very much out there in the world, we have to acknowledge them. You know, and if you don't acknowledge them politically, you end up in this one-size-fits-all monoculture, left or right, that I don't think works for anybody. So I think our next podcast, Rick, I think we should start, like, um, a, f- a Founders Fan podcast where we just, like, talk about, like, the awesomeness of the Founders. Oh, I could, I could fanboy <laughs> the shit out of that. <laughs> Because <laughs> we just spent a lot of time on it. I'm not sure that's what people were expecting, but, you know, that's what we're going to switch to. We're just going to switch to like a 18th century political economy podcast. I'm and... down. I'm down. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, uh, I love it. I, I love it. I always enjoy talking with you, even if sometimes you, you get me down. For the most part, this has been you, you've given some silver linings as well. Um, have faith, everybody, um, wherever you can find it. Um, as as have, have, have faith. You know what? There's no alternative to pushing forward. You know, it's the old it's the old Winston Churchill. You know, keep buggering on. And the old thing that the army guys used to say called Fido. Fuck it, drive on. Got to keep <laughs> got to keep moving forward. So, all right. Um, well, I will speak to you next month. Hopefully, we'll we'll talk we'll talk even more about your book. So Rick and I closed out our conversation talking about the need to keep the faith. I know not everyone shares my faith or any faith, and I just want to put out there the recommendation I always make when people ask me how to keep going in these times, which is find a way to be a service. Find a dog to walk, uh, dishes to do, uh, meals to hand out. Do something that will connect you to other people, because that is where I find faith when I can't find it anywhere else. It would also be a great service if you rate and reviewed this podcast, but that probably wouldn't count towards having more faith in America. You can do that, though, and I would appreciate it. Uh, We will be back next week. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious.